Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you're being seated, find John chapter 12. John chapter 12. So we are studying the Gospel of John this year, and we have made it all the way to chapter 12. It only took us, what, nine months to get here. But um, I want you to remember as we go through this text that we are still nine chapters away from being done with this book. But we are just days before Christ will be arrested and crucified. And so in the, in the tone of this text is right up to the cross. And so I want you to make sure you understand that and hear that through this word. And really a simple question to ask before we dive into this is, are you a true believer in Jesus Christ? Simple question to start this sermon with. Are you a true believer in Jesus Christ? And we're going to find out in this passage that many people are not believers. In Jesus' day, but of course also in our day. So John chapter 12, find verse 37. We'll read through the end of the chapter there. If you found verse 37, let me know by saying word. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. That the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Jesus cried out and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. I'm going to give you today four parts of this passage as we break it down and, and see what the Lord would say to us through his word. The first part I want you to see of this passage is the unbelief of the people. The unbelief of the people. 
How many people do you imagine in the three-year ministry of Jesus Christ heard him and saw him? How many people do you think? Thousands upon thousands? Well, it had to be, right? Because one time he fed 5,000. So it had to be thousands upon thousands of people who saw him do miracles, teach with power, just be a loving, kind person to, to people in need and people that were hurting. But though there were thousands upon thousands who saw him and heard him, we see in Scripture, not many believed. Now, we can go back and really count almost by our, on our hands who we've studied who believed. We can go back to John 3 and talk about Nicodemus. We can talk about John 4, the woman at the well. We can talk about some of the others Jesus healed. We can talk about John 11, uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus who were followers of Christ. And there were others here and there who truly followed Jesus, but for the most part, it's hard to find a lot of people in this part of Scripture who were just running after Christ. Of course, the disciples, if I didn't mention them, the disciples minus Judas Iscariot were followers of Christ as well. But as best I can tell, there's not many more than that. So look at verse 37 again. It says, though he had done so many miracles, they believed not. I imagine too, by the way, as, as Jesus comes into Jerusalem this last time for the celebration of Passover, I imagine so many people are coming in there to, to hear him and see him and thinking, well, if I just see this man they're talking about, this Messiah, this Savior they're talking about, if I see him do a miracle, I'm going to follow him. I can just imagine people are saying that or... Or if, if, if he does say something to me that really speaks to me, I'm going I'm to follow him. And yet, verse 37 said, those so, he had done so many miracles, they had seen it, and they didn't believe. So let me give you an application for this. Observing miracles is not enough to convert a lost soul. Observing a miracle is not enough to convert a lost soul. Now, could it help? Could God use that to help lead someone toward him? Sure. We see that in Scripture, and we see that in, in our own lives when God does something maybe to lead us closer to him. But the idea here is there are people who say, if God will just show me a sign, then I'll follow him. If God will do this, or if God will do that, then I will submit to him. And that's not the attitude of a believer. Now, we see in, tech, in the text that these miracles, these so many miracles he did, they got people excited. They got crowds excited. People would follow him. Remember John 6, when Jesus fed the 5,000, and they're following him around, and they're like, this is great. He's feeding us out here in the wilderness. He's giving us food. It's entertaining probably for them. But then as soon as Jesus started talking about difficult things, about the gospel and the depths of the gospel, the scripture says they all turned around and left, except for the disciples. They abandoned him. No amount of sign searching or miracle seeking will save a lost sinner. Only a new heart, only a new heart put in us by Christ saves us. The Spirit of God working in us saves us. And so as we see in Jesus' day, so many people do not believe. Should we be surprised that so many people do not believe today? We should not be surprised, right? I mean, if people heard Jesus speak and didn't follow him, then who am I to think, you know, 
there's not going to be any unbelievers around me, right? And so we understand that there are unbelievers. And this just reminds me, the whole idea of unbelief in Jesus' day and unbelief now reminds me of the, the foundational doctrine we need to remember often, and that is the one of total depravity. The doctrine of the fall of man, the, sinner, the sinfulness of mankind. So we should not be shocked when people do not follow Christ. We pray that people would follow Christ. We preach the good news that they might know him, but we're not shocked or surprised at unbelief. That's our first section. Let's notice the second part of this text, and it comes from verses 38 through 41. And this is interesting. The unbelief here is explained using the book of Isaiah. Now, we believe here that all 66 books of the Bible are God's word. From Genesis to Revelation, right? The Old Testament is God's word. And much of that Old Testament, though we think of it as stories and interesting you know, things in the Old Testament, much of that is pointing toward Christ, this Messiah who would come. I was reading one, um, one commentator said that he found 456 Old Testament verses that specifically referenced the coming Messiah. Another guy, he, he must have dug a little deeper, he said he found 574 verses in the Old Testament that pointed to Christ. Someone also wrote that a conservative number is that in his lifetime, Jesus fulfilled at least 300 of those Old Testament prophecies. And the ones he did not fulfill then, they will be fulfilled because God's word will always come to pass, right? Look at verses 37 and 38 again. I want to connect these two with us. Though he had done so many miracles... The people did not believe, now verse 38, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled when he said, Lord, who has believed our report? You remember Isaiah 53? I hope you do. That's an amazing chapter. The chapter on the suffering servant, Christ, uh, speaking about the Christ who will come. And the very first verse of Isaiah 53 says this, and this is what's quoted here by John. It's quoted when he says, who has believed our report? Isaiah 53 anticipates the coming Messiah, but Isaiah 53 also anticipates the rejection of the coming Messiah. He's going to come, he's going to, by his stripes we are healed, it says later on in that chapter. But in the very first verse it says, who has believed our report? Again, it's anticipating the rejection of the people. And so Jesus, standing here in John 12, among the people, amongst the people, and he's going to die in a few days. And Isaiah 53, 1 says, many of these people of Israel are not going to believe the report. We know that to be true. Look at the next thing. It's in verses 39 through 41. It's another reference from Isaiah. And this time it's not Isaiah 53. It's another, another, again, very famous Isaiah chapter. It's Isaiah chapter 6. In verse 39 it says, Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Again, you, you probably remember this chapter. It starts by saying, In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah got this vision of God and and as he saw God, he, he said, woe is me, right? I'm, I'm, a, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And he's just like, I'm a sinner. I cannot look at God. And God, you know, talks to him and says, 
who's going to go and who's going to go preach to the people? And Isaiah says, what does he say? You remember? Here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. And so after that, in Isaiah 6, 10, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10, it quotes what we see here, or it is a quote from what we see here in chapter 12, verse 40 of the book of John. And the idea here is that when Isaiah goes to preach to the people, those people are not going to believe. As a matter of fact, that preaching that Isaiah is going to do, in many ways, it's going to make their condition even worse. Someone once said this, they translated this, you know, preach them toward hell in a sense. In other words, it hardens their hearts. It hardens their hearts because they cannot see and their hearts are not moldable. And so the people who already, these people have already chosen to go against God. They've, they've sinned against God. They've rejected God. God's own people, by the way, in the Old Testament. They've rejected him. And when people reject God like that, he often will just let them go, right? He'll let them go that way. That's kind of the context of, of Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah 6 also asks this. Isaiah says this, Lord, how long? How long is this going to be the case? And God says, until they lay in ruin. I mean, when God decides to judge someone or judge people, that's a scary thing, right? That's a scary thing. I mean, God does not halfway do stuff like we do sometimes, right? He goes all out in his love and in his wrath. And he said, how long, O Lord, shall I preach and they not be changed? And the Lord says, until they lay in ruin. Now let's go back to John 12. Why didn't these people believe in Christ? How does Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 6 help us understand John 12? These people had seen the miracles, heard his teachings. Why didn't they respond? Well, let me give you three reasons people didn't believe in Christ and still don't. Number one, it fulfilled prophecy for people to reject Christ. It fulfilled Isaiah 53. It fulfilled Isaiah 6 and other passages as well. The Old Testament promised it. And the New Testament proved it. The second reason that people didn't believe then and why people don't believe now is people are ruined sinners. Romans 3.23, for all have what? Sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jeremiah 17.9 says the heart is deceitfully wicked. Again, let me give you this word. I gave you the, the phrase earlier, total depravity. Let me give you the definition. It is an acknowledgement that the Bible teaches that as a result of the fall of man, Every part of man, his mind, his will, his emotions, and flesh have been corrupted by sin. In other words, sin affects all areas of our being, including who we are and what we do. Sin penetrates to the very core of our beings so that everything is tainted by sin. And this is why Isaiah said in another place, um, our, our righteousness is like filthy rags before God. So when we talk about people being ruined sinners, we understand that is a complete destruction, a complete disaster, a complete ruin when we're born into this world as a sinner. The third thing here, the third reason people don't respond is God has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. We as Christians, I think, wonder, like, why don't people just follow Jesus? Why don't we just believe in Jesus? He's good. He gives us eternal life. He helps us in this life. We have his word. We can see his beautiful creation he's made. Like, why don't people follow him? Have you ever thought that as a Christian? Why don't people just believe? Well, number one, people love sin. They choose sin. Number two, the scripture is clear, is clear here in other places that God 
has blinded hearts and blinded eyes and hardened hearts. If we believe God is sovereign, and we do, then we believe God is sovereign over all things. And so what does this mean? If we say, well, they can't be saved because their hearts are hardened. They can't come to Christ because they can't see. Their eyes are blind. They can't hear because their ears are stopped up by the Lord. He's, He's done all these things. Why is God doing that? Why can't they hear? Why can't they see? Well, you see the picture, the picture, the idea is not why can't they? The idea is only through God can they. We must be completely dependent upon him to open the eyes of sinners and to give a new heart to the lost. This is why 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. So no one listening to me today can say, well, I just can't follow Jesus because my heart is just too hard. My eyes are just too blind. No, I think scripture is clear. If you will flee to Christ, run to Christ, pray to Christ, turn to Christ, you can be saved. I would say you will be saved if you turn to Christ. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God is sovereign, and yet he calls us to him. A third part of this text is found in verses 42 and 43, and it's this. There is a kind of belief that proves to be unbelief. And I don't know if you'll agree with me on this. We'll see, and maybe on our Wednesday night small groups we can have a good discussion on this. But it says in verse 42, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him. Well, that sounds good. That's great. That's positive. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Verse 43 is maybe the most, maybe the saddest verse we've seen in chapter 12. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Someone said, it's an amazing power. Which the, world, which the love of the world has over men. It's an amazing power that loving this world has over, over us. So in verse 42, there are these leaders, these chief rulers, and evidently they were like, you know what? We've seen his miracles. We've heard his teachings. He truly is the Messiah. Evidently they believed in some sense through their mind, their intelligence, their seeing it with their own eyes, hey, he, he must really be the Messiah. But they didn't confess it, did they? Verse 42, they, they did not confess it. They didn't want to lose their position, which is the main thing. They didn't want to be kicked out of the synagogue, lose their position. So even if they truly felt this belief, they wanted to keep it to themselves and not put it out there. This is why I say there's a kind of belief that seems like real belief, but it's not true belief. Does that make sense? Um, Anybody can say, I believe in God, I believe in Christ, but that doesn't make you a believer in Christ, does it? That that confession is good, but has God done a work from the inside out in your life? I think there are people like this, by the way, in churches all across the world, all across our country, especially in the Bible Belt South. Who have, a, who have a kind of belief, they would all say, you know what, I believe the Bible's real, and I believe God's real, and I, I believe Jesus is real, I believe Jesus died on the cross. There are people who believe those things. Of course, the Bible says the demons believe those things too. 
Demons believe in Christ, but they don't have saving faith. These people are, they don't want to come before Christ. They, they don't want to be, again, kicked out. They don't want to be judged. They don't want to be jeered at, despised. They care more about the opinion of the world than truly turning to the Savior of the world. Verse 43, again, it's a very sad verse. Where it says, they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. And Christians, I hope we can ever pray that this is not us. That we will stand up for the Lord no matter what it might cost us in regards to people in our lives. That we stand up for Him regardless if the world hates us, if the world jeers at us or whatever. And I think the answer to this for that lost crowd and also for us as believers, I think the answer is, is faith. Faith to trust Him more. J.C. Ryle said about this verse, we need a believing view of an unseen God, an unseen Christ, an unseen heaven, and an unseen judgment day. This is the grand secret of overcoming the fear of man. If we truly believe in the unseen God, the unseen Christ, the unseen heaven, and the unseen coming judgment day, then we won't care too much about what the people around us think. We'll care more about what the Lord thinks. He is our, as we said earlier, He's our audience. He's the only one that should truly matter when it comes to these things. We need faith to trust Him more and faith to let our, His working in our lives overcome the fear of man. I saw this online this week and it went with our message here. It was a prayer. It's the Lord, we confess, we have not feared you as we ought, but instead we have often feared man's opinion and become anxious over our circumstances, having given too much reverence to the creation rather than the creator. Instead of trusting in true wisdom revealed by your Holy Spirit in Scripture, we have trusted rather in worldly wisdom. Forgive us, Lord, and grant us the wisdom we lack that we might bring you glory and fear you rather than men whose opinions are of no account. Church, I don't know, some of us are probably more apt to this than others. I definitely could, be, could fall prey to this, where I care about what other people around me think. I definitely know this is something in my life, this has been an issue for me. Like, I want to make sure, is my guitar sound okay? Is my voice sound okay? Am I dressed okay? You know, how's my hair? I mean, is everything okay? everything put together? And I realize that. And so I have to be careful and think about this topic often. Because I want to make sure I'm pleasing God more than man. The fourth and final part of the text. And again, think about this context. He's dazed from the cross. He's done so much in these three years leading up to it. This is a final call from Jesus Christ to these Jews, to believe in him. Verse 44 and 45. He cried out. Again, that's not just speaking plainly. That's, he's crying out to them. Hey, he that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that sees me, sees him that sent me. As Jesus makes this final plea to these people, let me give you 
five final thoughts from these passages. The first one, Jesus says this. He says, I am one with the Father. We see that in verse 44 and 45. We see it again in verses 49 and 50. He is one with the Father. The God that they've been claiming all along to know and to worship, Jesus once again and finally says, I'm that God. I am the son of that God. I am that God. The one you've been looking for, I am he. And I would hope that those Jewish people in that day would say, well, we have the prophets, we have the patriarchs, we have all these Old Testament heroes that we look up to, and now Jesus says, no, I'm greater than all of those. I am one with the Father. You should worship me. You should follow me. I am here to save you from your sin and to grant you life. And time and time again, they're refusing him. The second thing I noticed there is that he is the light of the world. I see this in verse 46, where he says, I am come as a light into the world. Whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Now, the idea of light here, I think of the sun, the sun rising. Um, the sun comes in the morning and dark, brightens a dark world, right? In the same way, Christ came to a dark world in light. John chapter 1 says that. We see that in John chapter 8. He is the light of the world. This idea that he brings this brightness and this truth of light on us. The third thing I notice here is he is Savior. Verse 47. He says, If any man hears my words and believes not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to what? Save the world. He is Savior. We talk about this a lot, and we, we should, but Jesus Christ is our Savior. And He is able to save. He is able to save. He is Savior because He is able to do the job. Right? Moses, in a sense, saved His people as He led them out of Exodus, right? In the Exodus, right? Noah, go back further, Noah was able to save his people by building an ark and putting his family on there and surviving. King David, other kings like David were able to save their people by going out and winning battles. But all of those people who saved, none of those were able to save sinners from sin. They could save, but they were not truly able to save like only Jesus can. So we turn to our Savior. Notice the fourth one. Judgment is coming. Again, verse 47, he talks about being judged. And then in verse 48, he says, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words. Now, let's hear that again. He that rejects me and receives not my words has one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. We discussed this, I don't know if it was last week, was it last Wednesday maybe? The fact that we often don't think about the fact that one day this world will be over. We just don't think about it. And probably in every generation, some people look to the second coming of Christ and some didn't. But it is true, according to Scripture, that one day Christ will return and the things, things that we know will not be the same, right? There will be no more. Um, 
Obviously, there'll be no more sin. There'll be no more going to funerals. That's good, right? Things as we know them will be different, and for all of us who are believers, they will be much better. Uh, indescribably better. I have to quote Riley on this verse. He says, there's a judgment coming. Men have their reckoning days, and God will at last have his. The trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, the living shall be changed. All of every name and nation and people and tongue shall stand before the judgment of Christ. The book shall be opened and evidence brought forth. Our true character will come out before the world. There will be no concealment, no evasion, no false coloring. Everyone shall give account of himself to God and all shall be judged according to their works. The wicked shall go away into everlasting fire and the righteous to everlasting life. So Jesus tells these people one final time before he goes to the cross. I'm one with the Father. I'm the light of the world. I am the Savior. Judgment is coming. And the person and these people, and this now applies to us today, right, who reject his word and reject him will have eternal, as he said there, everlasting fire and condemnation. The person who does not call on the Lord in repentance and faith will be cast down forever. Yet, all those who believe, all those who believe, including us in this room who claim Christ and know Christ, we have no cause to be afraid of that judgment. Because in that judgment, we will not be claiming our own selves, but Christ. We've said this time and time again, if, if you stood before the Lord and he asked you why, should you, why should he let you into heaven? The right answer is what? You shouldn't. You shouldn't let me in. Only on the basis of Christ do we have that eternal life. So my final point is to anyone who may need to hear this today, that's to turn to Christ. Repent of your sin. Put your faith in him. He is the only one who is able to save to the uttermost. And church, for us, I think this message to me as a believer tells me don't waste time. Which was kind of our message last week, by the way. Don't waste time. We, we, can, we can do a lot of things too much, can't we? We can eat too much. We can play too much. We can work too much. We can sleep too much. We can never serve God too much. Church, let's be actively serving Him day by day. Let's pray.